You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. No matter your goals, Atomic Habits offers a proven framework for improving every day. James Clear, one of the world's leading experts on habit formation, reveals practical strategies that will teach you exactly how to form good habits, break bad ones, and master the tiny behaviors that lead to remarkable results. If you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem isn't you. The problem is your system. Bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because you don't want to change, but because you have the wrong system for change. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Here, you'll get a proven system that can take you to new heights. Clear is known for his ability to distill complex topics into simple behaviors that can be easily applied to daily life and work. Here, he draws on the most proven ideas from biology, psychology, and neuroscience to create an easy-to-understand guide for making good habits inevitable and bad habits impossible. Along the way, readers will be inspired and entertained with true stories from Olympic gold medalists, award-winning artists, business leaders, life-saving physicians, and star comedians who have used the science of small habits to master their craft and vault to the top of their field. Learn how to make time for new habits even when life gets crazy. Overcome a lack of motivation and willpower. Design your environment to make success easier. Get back on track when you fall off course and much more. Atomic Habits will reshape the way you think about progress and success and give you the tools and strategies you need to transform your habits, whether you are a team looking to win a championship, an organization hoping to redefine an industry, or simply an individual who wishes to quit smoking, lose weight, reduce stress, or achieve any other goal. James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. He writes about habits decision-making, continuous improvement, and more at jamesclear.com. His website receives millions of visitors each month and hundreds of thousands subscribe to his popular email newsletter. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, and on CBS This Morning. He is a regular speaker at Fortune 500 companies, and his work is used by teams in the NFL, NBA, and MLB. Learn more at jamesclear.com. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 402 of this podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. It's a rainy day in Greeley, Colorado, and I'm tickled about that. We have been too long without rain, but if we're going to get some moisture now and it's going to cause the grass to grow and my water bill every month to not be in the hundreds of dollars, maybe, maybe just maybe. That is all right with me. I love the smell of rain in the morning. And an interesting thing, today being June 1st. Today is the first day of what is known in the U.S. as Pride Month. Pride, in general, is not a good thing. By the way, just speaking generally, it really doesn't matter what it is that you would be 
proud about. We should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We should not become conceited. We should not become puffed up. What is it that God says? He says that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So I, for one, am going to be celebrating Humility Month. That's what I'm going to try and celebrate, Humility Month, because I would love for God's grace to be uh, on me and my endeavors and my home and my family and my work. I would love for him to bless the work of my hands uh, and uh, prosper it. And so I'm going to celebrate Humility Month, and uh, much of the rest of the country apparently is celebrating Pride Month. But that is a topic for another day. (laughs) I don't think we should be proud. I think we should be humble. And yet, at the same time, we have this book here, Atomic Habits. And the Atomic Habits is something I just read over the weekend. This past weekend, it was recommended to me by a coworker of mine. And I am very interested in these kinds of books. I like books on business. I've read quite a lot of books on business. I've got my associate's degree in business administration for what it's worth. And I almost had my bachelor's of business administration with a focus on international business from Liberty University. But I ended up dropping out several years ago when my wife had a pretty significant, pretty major knee surgery. And they're just it wasn't in the cards. It was not going to be a good idea for me to try and do full school uh, pursuit, full pursuit of my bachelor's degree, rather, and also work and also help her to rest and recover and also take care of kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I almost have my bachelor's degree in business administration. I'm very interested in the topic of business and management. I like reading books on leadership, and I've read a fair number of them. I like reading books on self-improvement and process improvement because I find it a very, very interesting subject. Now, that said, all of that said, I think this is an important topic within the larger scheme of process improvement. What are our individual habits? And if you can't break individual bad habits in individuals and yourself, first and foremost, starting with yourself, if you can't do that, then you can't change culture and you can't run a successful organization uh, in any sphere. It really doesn't matter if you're talking your home, for instance, or a church, for instance, or a business, for instance, or a government agency, for instance, or a country. You know, Anything you're going to run, manage, lead, you have got to be able to control yourself. If you can't control yourself, then you can't exercise leadership. Or if you do, it's going to be by and large accidental and uh, haphazard. And and you, and you don't want that, right? You want to be self-controlled. You want to be able to make a determination that this would be beneficial and that would be not beneficial. And when you make that determination, you don't want to be a creature of instinct who just can't help themselves. They have a feeling, they have an impulse, they see a shiny object, and they just immediately go for it. They just can't stop themselves. Just whatever I want, that's what I have to have as soon as possible, and everybody has to tell me that's great. You don't want to do that if you're trying to be successful, unless you just want to redefine what success is uh, to match whatever it is that you're doing. 
you know, but that's not what this book is for. This book is not for telling us whatever we're doing, however we're doing it. It's all the same embedded in the title or rather the subtitle is the tacit recognition that there are such things as good habits. There are such things as bad habits. You want to form good habits. You want to break bad habits. So then what is a habit, right? Well, a habit is just what you are going to routinely do. In fact, in a good sense, habits are what you want to form in, let's say, children. And this is a biblical concept. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they won't depart from it. In other words, you create these channels in our brains, in our neural pathways, if you will, to where we are more easily thinking about the right things and doing the right things. And even when we're tired, even when we're stressed, even when we're not feeling so good, we make it as easy as possible for us to do the right thing by creating what's known as muscle memory. Well, that can be a good thing when those are good habits, when they're beneficial habits, when they're habits that are prone to prosperity, that are given to blessing. When the habits are bad habits, however, that lead to loss or destruction or pain or heartache or even potentially a fatal result, you want to break those habits, right? You want to break those habits. You want to form good habits. And this book is predicated on the assumption that some habits ought to be broken. Other habits ought to be formed. But I've got some quotes here. I've got seven actually in total that I pulled from goodreads.com. Actually, the summary that I read for you at the top of the episode, that is from goodreads.com as well. Great little social media site for book lovers. And you can have friends and you can follow authors who are contemporary that will post updates and things like that. Uh, I'm on there. I post a lot of reviews to goodreads.com. Also, too, you can create lists of books that you've read or books that you want to read. You can recommend books to your friends on there. It's really, really great. Totally a book site. Totally a social media site for bibliophiles. But I pulled some of the most popular quotes, most often liked quotes from the page for Atomic Habits. And I've come up with essentially four that I liked and three that I did not like that I think are indicative of a general trouble with the premise of this book. And I'm just going to read for you the four quotes that I liked and the three quotes that I'm not so hot about. First of all, quote, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity, end quote. So here's a, here's a gem, right? And the author, James Clear, talks about what the origins, what the etymology of our English word identity is. Now, funny thing, if you look up identity at merriamwebster.com, Merriam-Webster will tell you it is in the top 1% of all searches that they have. It's, it's in the top 1% of words that people look up trying to figure out uh, essentially the, the identity of. You know, you, you're trying to identify the 
definition of identity. What is identity? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Identity is about identity. Identity is what we routinely do. We are defined by what we routinely do. So, for instance, if this one time I jog down the street to get the mail because I'm in a little bit of a hurry and I need to hurry back after I get the mail and we've got to go somewhere and we've got to be there by a certain time and we're running late, that does not a jogger make, right? I cannot, <laughs> I cannot uh, actually legitimately call myself a jogger just because I jogged down the street one time, right? It does not work that way. However, by contrast, if every morning I wake up at 5 a.m. and I go for a jog, and I jog for a mile, and then I'm back home, and I get my shower, and I get my cup of coffee, or my water, or my breakfast, and all this stuff. Well, then at that point, you would say, I'm a jogger, right? So so doing a thing once might indicate you did it accidentally, or it wasn't for you. It just was not in keeping with your goals, but you do it routinely. And as this quote says, as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. You're choosing to make that your identity by routinely doing it, by embracing that behavior and pursuing it as a matter of course on a regular basis. And I agree with that. I think that's correct. I, th- I think that's correct. Next quote, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. I totally agree with this. I totally 100% agree with this. And for two reasons, first of all, for one thing, I used to be a personal fitness instructor. Uh, That was my high school part-time job, 15 hours a week or less. I was a personal fitness instructor at the Highland County Family YMCA in Hillsboro, Ohio. And as such, I had some regulars who would come into the fitness center who worked out every day and they didn't work out the same muscles every day. But they worked out every day and on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for instance, they worked out their upper body. And let's say on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, they worked out their lower body, their legs. And they would always work out their core to some extent or another. But there you have it. I mean, they they just, they worked out every single day and it showed and they were fit. They were strong. They were athletic. They had endurance. They had good posture, they had, you know, confidence. And then I had other people who would come in who, especially in the new year, they come in and they're overweight and they slouch and they look very, very unsure of themselves. They look very, very nervous about being where they're at. And they are here to try and get started. And they look over at the guy who's got just giant biceps and just really toned muscles and just a chiseled jaw. And he's just, you know, like very, very confident macho guy. They look over at him and he is pumping iron that like they wouldn't dare even attempt to lift. And he's doing 10 reps and then he rests for 30 seconds and then he's back at it and he does another eight reps and then he rests for a minute and then he is back at it and he does another four reps and he's on to the next thing, 
right? They wouldn't attempt one rep because they would seriously hurt themselves. And so, you know, what you need to think of here is you need to be thinking if you are one of those guys who is in really phenomenal shape and your results are great, but you're working out less and less often. It was every day and then it became every other day only. And now it's like once a week. And then you're thinking about just not even working out at all next week. You should be concerned about your trajectory and what is that going to do? And especially if you're a bodybuilder and you are used to eating a lot of calories because you're burning a lot of calories, working out like that all the time, you should be very concerned about (laughs) how fast you might pass up the guy who just started working out and he's got some weight to lose. You eat so many calories and it's such a habit for you. When you stop burning calories like you used to, you're going to get, I'm sorry, you're going to get fat and uh, it might not take long. It might not take as long as you think. So don't think that your current results being good means that you're going to be good and you can just take it easy. If your trajectory is a downward direction, uh, that should be concerning to you and you shouldn't give a false comfort because you've got a track record of doing well or your current results are still better than most people's, et cetera, et cetera. On the flip side, you're that guy who just started working out and you're, you're working out like crazy and you're exhausted and you are just beat and you're not getting the reps and the weight and the distance that these other guys are because you haven't been working out. You, it's never been a habit. Your family never worked out. You never worked out. It's just not something you ever did. And now, well, now you're feeling a little bit discouraged, but you weighed yourself this morning and you've lost a pound and you're starting to kind of see like, Hey, you know, I, I stand a little taller and I feel a little bit better. You know, I'm tired, but I'm, you know, like when I rest, once I recover, like I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more confident, a little more sure of myself. My clothes are fitting just a little bit better. You know, let that encourage you. Let, let the fact of your trajectory encourage you and key in on that. Don't get discouraged just because you're not where other people might be, where you think they are. You know, are they really where they want to say they are or where you think they are? That's another question. But focus on your trajectory. That's a good way to stay encouraged and also to not get complacent and rest on your laurels. Another quote I like, you don't have to be the victim of your environment. You can also be the architect of it. I like that quote. I like that quote a lot. And it is not to say that you get to be the sole architect of your environment. You have to be careful to extend too far in either direction here where you're just a helpless product of your environment at the will and whim of everyone else, or you think, hey, I'm going to change everything, and it actually is not yours to change, or there are others to consider as well. That will be a consideration. You will have to reckon with wherever you go and whatever you do, because at a minimum, even if you just go off into the wilderness by yourself, you're still living in a universe that God is ruling over. So God is actually the architect with a capital A of your environment. That's the idea between, you know, that, that's that's the idea behind him being God. <laughs> uh, he is actually the architect, the creator, uh, but also like from a small A made in his image 
uh, architecture, filling the earth and subduing it standpoint, you you know even if you're off by yourself, you're going to have to be abiding by his rules, the rules that he set up for the universe. And if you're in relationship with other people, which I would highly recommend if you want to be a healthy person, don't get in the habit of being completely alone by yourself. God didn't make you for solitary confinement. He made you for relationship uh, with him and with others as well. But if you're going to be a small a architect in relationship with others, you have to consider others and you have to love them as you love yourself. And you have to honor your maker in the way you relate to them. But don't assume that you have no control over your environment and life just is what happens to you and you have to react to it, respond to it all the time. No, you should have your own space. You should have your own place. You should have your own goals. That's what it means to be self-controlled. And self-control is a good, God-honoring and proper thing which I think is at the heart of why this is a good book to read and why this is a good subject to study, generally speaking. Another quote I like, good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, if they conflict with your identity, you will fail to put them into action. I'm going to read that again because this is really, really important. I think this is a hinge pin for the whole business. Good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, you will fail to put them into action. So here's where it gets a little complicated, and then we'll get into the quotes I did not like here in this book. Your identity is what you routinely do, and good habits may not be what you routinely do. In other words, your identity is not good. Your identity is not good because your habits are not good. Uh, You want to have good habits in part because you want to have good character. You want to be thought well of. You want to be successful. Well, if you want to be successful, you need to have successful habits. I identify as a successful person. Well, yeah, but if if all of your habits are unsuccessful, how can you identify as a successful person? That doesn't work. Right? Good habits can make rational sense. Well, here's maybe what you mean more properly. I see the value in successful habits. <laughs> I see the value. They make rational sense to me. Good habits make rational sense to me. But yet, they conflict with my identity and how I really identify myself. Not verbally, but objective reality-wise. The objective reality is other than what I say that it is by my actions, by how I live, by how I behave, by how I relate to the people around me and life and ultimately God. This right here is not just the hinge pin of this book and this subject. This is the hinge pin of life in a fallen world on the macro as fallen beings who now live, uh, you know, in... The reality of a sinful nature. We're born with a sinful nature in Adam. Even the Apostle Paul, who has the Holy Spirit, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing scripture in the New Testament. He's going around as a missionary to Gentiles, non-Jewish, you know, potential converts and also converts and also disciples and churches, et cetera, et cetera. 
You know, he says at one point, the good that I would do, I do not do. And the bad, that which I would not do, that is the very thing that I do. Wretched man that I am. And what this has to do with it, it has to do with the bondage of the will, as Martin Luther talks about, writes about at length, uh, as he is refuting Erasmus of Rotterdam and this, um, if you will, excessively rosy (laughs) view of the human will, free will, as it's often known. This is something that Martin Luther addresses because the question has to return again to what is in our nature? Man may be free, and yet how he will exercise his freedom has a lot to do, has everything to do, actually, with what his nature is. And what is his nature apart from God? What is his nature apart from supernatural intervention by the Almighty? Well, his nature is not good. It's bad. It's sinful. It's corrupt. It's foolish. It's bound for destruction. So you want good habits? Well, first of all, I guess the question would be, do you know what's good? You know, like that's kind of a question that boys from the hood ask, right? Like what's good, right? It's the equivalent of, hey, how's it going? How are you? (laughs) That's my translation as the very white homeschooled kid from Eastern Montana. How are you? Hey, how are you? You know, what's good? Do we know actually? Like, do we know what's good? How would we know what's good if we don't? How can we know what's good if we don't? But even once we know, once we know what a good habit is and it makes rational sense, what is getting in the way of us pursuing it, us embracing it? Well, our identity, our our character, actually. And if our character, if our identity conflicts with the fact that good habits make rational sense to us, as James Clear says, we will fail to put those good habits into action. We will fail to act on the realization that they are, in fact, desirable, profitable, beneficial, et cetera, et cetera. So this leads to... The quotes I don't like in this book because I don't think that they're true and I don't think they're helpful and I think that they are a fair amount of pandering and flattery and uh, a reflection of the zeitgeist that is bad and uh, not to be blessed, not to be affirmed, not to be agreed with. All three of these, to be clear, have to do with systems, assertions, broad assertions related to systems. And there's a sense in which he could be onto something here, but there's another sense in which, without being more clear, or <laughs> James Clear, uh, w- without having a good habit of being more clear about what you mean by systems, <sighs> we could very, very easily feed the wrong idea about this. Just because we're trying to build up people's self-esteem. So first off, quote, goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. Now, to be clear, I like goals and I don't have a problem with systems per se because I 
I literally, like it's my job. It is literally my job. I am a systems integrator. So I'm not opposed to systems. I like systems. I'm for systems, especially like as you go from the 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 the, the general, like the vague, almost combine those two words, the jag, uh, general and vague, jag, just mash up, make new words. It's like a liger. You just combine the best of both, make a brand new animal. The vague and general goal, overarching goal, might be we want to remotely control, monitor, optimize, safeguard the extraction and transportation of oil and gas out of the ground coming up from thousands, even sometimes over 10,000 feet down into the earth to the surface and then eventually being made profitable, being usable, making literally products and energy and fuel to run the modern world, to run the rest of our economy. So that could be our goal. Our big goal is we want to do that. We want to get oil and gas out of the ground and get it into a usable form, into lots of usable forms. We want to do that safely and we want to do that profitably. We're going to do it safely because that is part of doing it profitably. It's not very profitable if you're always blowing stuff up and hurting people, destroying the equipment that you've spent so much money on buying and installing and configuring. That's not very profitable to blow it up. You know, pro tip, you're welcome. Uh, Also not profitable to blow up your employees. You know, we send these guys out there to work on it and then we blow them up. Man, that gets expensive. (laughs) I just... Uh, don't do it. Don't do that. Safeguard your people, safeguard your process, safeguard your equipment, safeguard the environment, safeguard the public. That's your license to operate. You don't do that. You lose your license. You you lose your license to operate and to produce period. And you should, that's the goal. That's the big idea between, you know, between the, the facility and, uh, what I do working from home, we've got all these devices, all this equipment, all this work and planning, preparation and installation. And then I'm supposed to configure. And if I configure it correctly and we verify that it's configured correctly, the system will help us to make progress towards producing this oil and gas safely and profitably. We will progress in that direction. That's measurable. And it's good that that is all underneath the overarching goal. But Let's continue on. We'll read the other two quotes and then I'll sum up what I don't like about these quotes. Another quote, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. I think you could paraphrase this in a way that I would agree with and say, the devil is in the details. Yes, you have this goal. You say that you have this goal. And yet when the rubber meets the road, when it comes to practical execution, the execution is not bueno. It is not Spanish for good. The execution is where it fails. And therefore, you won't reach the goal that you set. Now, here again, like speaking of identity, speaking of character, character does matter. Our fundamental nature, which is 
depending on how you define things, it's just another word for identity, our nature, our identity, who we really are in our heart of hearts, in our soul, in our minds. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That reveals and also decides what our goals really are. Sometimes our goals are mixed. Sometimes we have a conflict of interest. Sometimes we're not really committed to those goals. If we were committed to those goals, then our systems would reflect that. But what are our goals in actual fact? Well, you'll know when you look at the systems. But I, you know, again, we'll move on to the next quote, and then I'll explain why I, I don't like these three quotes in particular, and this being a, a big feature of the book. If you want better results, then forget about setting goals. Focus on your system instead. Okay, here we have it. All together, taken all together, the compare and contrast between goals and systems. You can't neglect the setting of goals in order to have good systems. What your goals are have to be known, and they have to be good goals in order for you to have a good system. So it's not an either or, it's a first, make sure that your goals, make sure that your goals are right and that they reflect appropriate priorities and sound principles. Otherwise, your system is going to be not so great. You come up with a very, very good system, but if it is in pursuit of a goal that's not so good, then like, you could be very, very efficient and very, very skillful at getting something that maybe you shouldn't shouldn't want. It's not a good thing to want. Um, you know, I think that's probably at the heart of my biggest, um, I guess, hesitancy with regards to this work. What are our goals and are we having that question at all asked? Uh, you know, that's not the purview of this book. And honestly, you know, not to be critical of James Clear, but let's be honest. Let's do be honest. The New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, CBS This Morning, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and, you know, Fortune 500 companies. None of the above, or very few of the above, I think would be pulling him in to start talking about, you know, are the priorities sound? Are the principles sound? They just want to talk about a methodical approach to getting what they want, right? Like, don't ask me whether what I want is good or right. Just help me get what I want. Okay. Yep, I can do that. Cool. Make me rich and famous, and I will be happy to show you how to get what you want. You know, so so I think, like, insofar as it's good for us to see the way that goal setting, habit forming, habit breaking, uh, since those two are two sides of the same coin, uh, the way that such are thought of by major institutions, very. Um, prominent institutions. I think it's helpful to read this book to get an insight into the way that they approach the topic generally, that they would bring him in as an expert. I think also it's helpful to see what is resonating, what is selling. This is a popular work and highly acclaimed, and it has some insight, uh, but just be careful, right? Like be careful that you don't go too far with you know, forgetting your goal setting, 
and focusing on your system instead. Your system is only going to be as good as your goals are. And for that matter, your goals are only going to be as good as your principles are. And what your principles are is a reflection of your priorities, which is a reflection of your worldview. And for the Christian, that's just a non-negotiable. That all has to be in the mix. And it has to be very intentionally uh, integrated. You know, again, with the systems integration thing, we have to integrate all of that into the way that we approach these things. Uh, also, too, I I feel like there's a little bit of pandering and um, going with the flow uh, and capitalizing on the zeitgeist as it is right now to say that you are not the problem if you're failing to get what you want. You're not the problem. Your system is the problem. And I think this is also, too, what a lot of the utopian collectivist uh, central planning type responses are driven by is that people, you know, very similar to our last episode where we talked about the Undoing Project, the research done by Daniel Kahneman and Amon Zversky, the two Israeli psychologists uh, who invented behavioral economics as a science. Uh, you know, this, like, this is of a piece with that. How they think of you as someone to consume their product or acquire their services or listen to their uh, formulas and their policy and their mandates or prohibitions or what have you. You know, if they, if they think to themselves, well, you, you need help with uh, forming and breaking of habits, and then we're going to help you, you know, don't worry about your goals. We'll help you figure out what your goals are. And then you just worry about the execution and doing and you know getting what you want and the the risk reward relationship. Uh, here's your cue, and now here's your reward. And now we've incentivized it, and now we've formed a new habit. Like this is all to be taken together, as we relate to God. We want to have peace with God. We want to have wisdom and righteousness, uh, and also as we think of ourselves as individuals needing to exercise self control, and and also as we relate to employers and organizations and family and friends and our community and our society, you know, the cultural pull to go along with certain trends and certain uh, drives, certain demands. Uh, and also, you know, increasingly as government is the solution or as company policy is the solution, both and both together uh, through ESG scores and whatnot, Insofar as we have the world, the flesh, and the devil to contend with, if our goal is to follow Christ, we have to consider what opposition there might be in us to that goal. Namely, do we have a sinful nature to contend with? We also have to consider what opposition we might face from external influences. Namely, what does the outside world want us to do? And also, what does the devil want us to do? I mean, the devil made me do it. That's a poor excuse, far too often relied on. And yet I read my Bible and the Bible tells me that there is a devil and there's a Satan and he doesn't have infinite power, but he is to be taken seriously. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, how do I think rightly about relating to systems and goals 
and my own nature and the nature of others who have their own goals and systems as well, beware. You know, Jesus says, and we talked about this in last episode, he says, behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Beware of men. Beware of men. You're a man. When you look in the mirror, beware. (laughs) Watch out. You might be your own worst enemy sometimes. Uh, Also, too, when you're interacting with other people, beware. You know, love them, but also beware. Be wary. Be aware. So lastly, too, before we finish up, I found these two worksheets, which are described in the book. And uh, there's a whole workbook that you can get that accompanies the actual nonfiction uh, book itself. There are supplemental materials, that is. Um, But there's these two portions that I want to share with you and just talk through briefly in the time that we have left. One is how to create a good habit. The second is how to break a bad habit. More time is spent on how to create a good habit. And I think that's actually wise. I think you can break bad habits in part by focusing on the formation of good habits and displacing uh, bad habits with good habits. You know, just uh, stopping a behavior when you don't have anything to fill that vacuum. Uh, Horror vacui is a principle that uh, is worth remembering. Nature abhors a vacuum. Remove one bad habit, and if you don't have something to replace it, uh, you will. (laughs) You will. So best to be uh, intentional about what displaces it, or even to intentionally use a good habit to drive out a bad habit. So the first law of how to create a good habit, make it obvious. So they've got a habit scorecard you can fill out, which we're not going to get into right now, but you write down your current habits. What do you habitually do? Use implementation intentions. I will do such and such behavior at this time in this location, right? So those are your implementation intentions. Specific and exact and intentional. Use habit stacking. After the current habit, I will new habit, right? So if you can link this new good habit you're trying to form with another habit you already have, then it can kind of like carry that momentum that you've already built up with the habits that you have, if they're good habits. You know, don't tie new good habits to the old bad habits. If you're trying to get rid of the old bad habits, that'll muddy the waters. But if you have a, you know, a good habit that you can tie the new good habit to, that'll be helpful. Design your environment. Make the cues of good habits obvious and visible. So this is just, you know, your furniture, decor, what is and is not present, you know, use your space to help you make it easy, make it, you know, help, help you to be reminded of what it is that you want to do and what your priorities are and all of that will, um, and make it more unconscious and more obvious, easier to do without having to think about it. The second law, make it attractive. Use temptation bundling, pair an action you want to do with an action you need to do. Join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Well, that is to say, too, it's easy to pick up bad habits when your culture is engaging in bad habits and encouraging bad behavior. This is also part of why you should not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. As some do, you should be in Christian fellowship. You should want to be a part of a healthy family. You should want to have healthy friendships, etc., etc. 
create culture, join a culture, one or the other. We keep having kids, and so we're creating a culture in some respect uh, where the desired behavior is the normal behavior and also trying to be intentional in how our children reinforce for one another good attitudes, good behaviors, good habits. Create a motivation ritual. Do something you enjoy immediately before a difficult habit. So that's an interesting thing. Make it attractive. Pair temptation. He uses the word temptation. And this can be actually with a bad habit too. Be careful what you pair with what. Because you might be having some baggage creep in because that's how you motivated yourself. Be really, really careful about that, Christians. And non-Christians as well. Make it easy. Reduce friction. Decrease the number of steps between you and your good habits. Okay, so this, this also works in reverse. Also, too, this is where I think we should be mindful of uh, very multivaried, multifaceted, comprehensive efforts to uh, discourage certain undesired behaviors. If you increase the number of steps between us and accomplishing those good habits, because those good habits are seen by others as being bad or negative or undesirable. Uh, if you increase the number of steps and you make it just a, a bogged down thing full of red tape, you will discourage that behavior. So be aware of that. Reduce friction if you want to make it easy. If somebody else wants to make it hard for you to you know, act on a good habit, form a good habit, keep following it, they will increase friction for you. So watch out for that. Prime the environment. Prepare your environment to make future actions easier. So this is kind of, you know, reiterating, but it's still a good principle. Prime the environment. Prepare your environment to make future actions easier. Organize your workspace. Decrease clutter. Get stuff out of there that is a distraction rather than a help as you focus on what you need to in order to accomplish your goals and uh, adhere to your principles. Master the decisive moment. Optimize the small choices that deliver outsized impact. Optimize the small choices. I really like that. I think that's great. You know, look at this as a bundling of choices, smaller choices that add up to big differences, big changes. Use the two-minute rule. Downscale your habits until they can be done in two minutes or less. And this might just mean, you know, thinking of larger tasks as smaller pieces, like eating an elephant one bite at a time. I'm not going to eat it all in one bite. Two-minute rule. Good idea. Make it easy. Make it manageable. Automate your habits. Invest in technology and one-time purchases that lock in future behavior. So, for instance, if I get a Fitbit and my Fitbit sends me a report every week on how many steps I took, am I getting up away from the computer, walking around enough, stretching? Am I getting enough exercise every week? How am I sleeping? Am I sleeping well? Am I getting to bed at a consistent time? If this thing starts sending me alerts and reports, that helps me to lock in future behavior and to monitor whether I'm getting uh, away from something that's a good goal that is uh, about health and is about wellness and is about good stewardship, et cetera, et cetera. Fourth law, make it satisfying. Use reinforcement. Give yourself an immediate reward when you complete your habit. Make do nothing enjoyable. Avoiding a bad habit, it's helpful when you're doing that to... Uh, design a way to see the benefits. Make doing nothing enjoyable. Use a habit tracker. Keep track of your habit streak and don't break the chain. This is part of why I use the Ink Plus Volt uh, personal organizers. For one, it's a habit that we go through them together. For two, 
it's a good idea that we are syncing up our calendars and talking about what's coming up and we're on the same page, my wife and I. Also too, it's good if I'm trying to keep track of certain habits that I'm forming and certain attitudes that I'm having and certain ways that I'm dealing with things, I use my personal organizer retroactively to write down what are we doing? Are we doing what we ought to, what we want to? So that's good as well. I think making it satisfying, have a cup of coffee with your wife, for instance, every week, ideally, knock on wood, we get back on track with that because I think we've kind of, we've gotten so busy lately that sometimes we're not getting to that review portion uh, for a couple of weeks, which is not good. But that really gets to the last point on this fourth law of make it satisfying. Never miss twice. When you forget to do a habit, make sure you get back on track immediately. Get back on track immediately. That can be difficult if you've got too much going on. And uh, I don't know that I think this one is totally necessary. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm not as disciplined as I should be. Maybe we need to get more disciplined and we need to be more ruthless in cutting out distractions and things that keep us from, you know, keeping with the habit of every week we're going to sit down and do our planners and organizers, for instance, that habit. But I do think it's a good encouragement to say, hey, when you forget, when you stop, uh, don't get discouraged. Don't just throw in the towel like, ah, okay, well, I failed. Never mind. Uh, no, get back on. You know, you get bucked off the horse, get back on and try again. Try, try again. If at first you don't succeed. Lastly, there's another worksheet here, how to break a bad habit. So these are inversions of the first, second, third, and fourth law as James Clear puts them as he has uh, formulated them. Make it invisible. Reduce exposure. Remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. So a certain object, a certain decoration, a certain... Uh, you know, what have you, a certain something reminds you of the bad habit or causes you to uh, want to engage in that bad habit, uh, get it out of there, you know? It, and if it's a bad habit, in fact, uh, why not just get rid of everything associated with it if you can? Now, this can go too far because sometimes the cues of your bad habits, uh, maybe they just need put somewhere else so that you have to rethink the way that you're uh, utilizing those things. You know, some of your bad habits, for instance, uh, you know, they might be a little more complicated than just the thing itself. And so you might have to think outside the box in terms of just making it inconvenient. Uh, but here too, like be careful because just as soon as you realize that these are ways that you can break your own bad habits, you should be aware that others as well might try to correct what they perceive to be bad habits in you by reducing exposure to uh, things that are cues in your environment. Uh, you know, for example, for instance, if we start to see symbols being outlawed or, or uh, forbidden or, or disapproved of uh, or if you start to see certain types of content that are totally legitimate, certain types of expression, uh, let's say expressions of certain you know, personal opinions, positions that are actually objectively like correct, 
these are correct positions and there's a, a long rich tradition of needing to be able to express these these opinions and these views and ask these questions and raise these objections you know look for those who are much more subtle to try and remove the cues which would facilitate uh, you engaging in what they see as being a bad habit. But if you're trying to get rid of bad habits in you, uh, it might not be a bad idea for you to be intentional about that. Be intentional about that or somebody else will. It's something I tell my children. Hey, you know, if you guys don't acquire self-control, someone else will acquire control over you. (laughs) Like, you know, like be intentional, pay attention. If you just are doing whatever is in front of you, whatever seems right at first blush, uh, others will try to hack that. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want that. You don't want that. They won't necessarily do it for your own good. They're, they almost definitely will do it for their own good. So be intentional. Inversion of the second law, make it unattractive. Reframe your mindset. Highlight the benefits of avoiding your bad habits. So here too, you know, there's a certain bad habit so-called, if you make it unattractive, if you make it ugly, this is something very often used in propaganda and marketing. You know, make the other candidate unattractive. Make your competing company's uh, product unattractive. Thomas Edison did this in a really, really uh, underhanded way with regards to Nikola Tesla's electricity. So, Edison had his uh, preferred current and Nikola Tesla had his preferred current. And what Edison would do is he, he like he hired guys to go out and kind of just do like a marketing thing on street corners and events, uh, you know, host events where they would electrocute elephants, speaking of elephants, uh, with Nikola Tesla's preferred current of electricity. And this is to say, there's, there's two types of current. There's direct current, and there's alternating current, right? Uh, direct current is typically, you know, in, in my industry or my uh, line of work, direct current is typically lower voltage. Alternating current is higher voltage, but you had these two currents. And because Thomas Edison wanted the public to choose his current over uh, Tesla's, He was electrocuting elephants in public to create a negative association to make Tesla's uh, current unattractive, to make it seem dangerous. He made it seem unattractive. Very, very shrewd, but also like really, really underhanded and dirty and, uh, and watch out because people will do that. Inversion of the third law, make it difficult. Increase friction, increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. You know, this is something that we can use, right? Like we can increase steps or other people can do it for us. And we should be aware that this is one of the ways of trying to break a bad habit or what is seen as being a bad habit or an undesired behavior is when you start seeing an overcomplication of uh, what is not desired what is uh, being discouraged. It's not that it necessarily is only always going to be prohibited. It might just be put behind so much paperwork and 
you know, you got to talk to this person, then talk to this person, and then get this approved, and then this and this and this. You know, it, it gets to be so complicated and burdensome that people just throw in the towel and they say, ah, oh, that's, that's a waste of time. I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of money. That's not a huge headache. Never mind. So increase friction, increase the number of steps. You can do that to yourself if you're really trying to break a bad habit. Also, other people might do that to you. Use a commitment device. Restrict your future choices to the ones that benefit you. Restrict your future choices to the ones that benefit you. Now here also too, like as I said from the top, the question needs to be, you know, is this a values neutral uh, formula? And as Christians, how do we plug this into God's economy and make sure that we're not just being utilitarian ends justify the means. Hey, whatever it is that I want, I do whatever it's uh, going to take to get. Whatever I don't want, I do whatever it's going to take to avoid. Be very, very, very careful. And uh, our hearts, uh, so long as they have a sinful nature in the mix, is Christ hasn't returned a second time just yet, and we haven't been called home. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't think you're on the other side. I think you're in the land of the living. We have to consider that our hearts might deceive us and they might make more difficult good habits, actually, that are mistaken for bad habits just because they're not desired, just because we don't want them. So be careful with that one, but hopefully you can use that one for good to make it more difficult to do the foolish thing or the wicked thing. Finally, the inversion of the fourth law, make it unsatisfying. Get an accountability partner ask someone to watch your behavior. That's not a fun thing. Somebody reaches out and they say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing certain things in your life. And I want to tell you, like, I'm really concerned about you. And how's this going? And how's that going? That can be really, really unsatisfying. It can be an unpleasant process to have to admit, you know, like I've just been not doing really, really well with this. Uh, That can help you to break bad habits. It really can. But there too, peer pressure can push you Uh, away from good habits just as easily as it can push you uh, away from bad habits. So be careful who you're surrounding to your, be careful who you're surrounding yourself with, right? Like that's also a biblical admonition. Good company uh, will help decide a good future. Show me your, show me your friends and I'll show you your future as it's been said. Uh, But also bad company corrupts good morals. You need to have people around you who will reliably, uh, question if something doesn't add up or if you're struggling with something and they know it, who will consistently weigh in because they do care about you, because they do love you. Don't get an accountability partner whose definition of love is just affirming whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you say, because uh, at the end of the day, they just want to flatter you. They, they want to be your friend at all costs. And so they're not going to disagree. They're not going to challenge. They're not going to question, you know, be careful that your friends match with the, the future self that you most aspire to be. And if you're following Christ as Christians, if you're following Christ, your closest, dearest, most trusted friends need to be Christians who are on the same page as far as that paradigm goes. First and foremost, what a friend we have in Jesus, you know, Jesus, will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, provide conviction for sin and also leading and wisdom as we ask for wisdom, the way that James talks about in the New Testament. 
ask someone to watch your behavior. You always have God watching your behavior. So there's that. Remember it. Uh, Lastly, the last point on the inversion of the fourth law, create a habit contract. Make the costs of your bad habits public and painful. Uh, To some extent, I'm doing that (laughs) with this podcast. Uh, So there you go. There, you know, Funny thing, this whole podcast is about trying to improve communication, to be more intentional in the cultivation of our worldview. And if I make a mistake, if I say something amiss, it's public. And that is unsatisfying. That does make it unsatisfying to have bad habits with regards to communication. But the flip side is it's very satisfying when somebody reaches out and they say, hey, you know what? I heard this podcast you did the other day, and I just thought that was really I thought that was really good. I think you're doing a good thing there. I was really informed and challenged, encouraged, built up, helped, what have you. That is the kind of thing that uh, you can use. You know, not necessarily that you want to take to a podcast with all your good habits and bad habits formation, but in my case, where communication is concerned, wanting to build good habits and break bad habits in communication. Uh, congratulations. You're part of that by listening to this podcast. So in closing, in sum, I would say that this book is pretty values neutral, pretty neutral when it comes to values. Uh, It does place a value on systems. But if you think of systems as just being uh, more detailed goals or more detailed extensions of goals, there's nothing wrong with systems per se. Where you want to be in the driver's seat is in creating detailed plans. And if you need to adjust those plans as you go, make that part of your plan. What are the mechanisms by which you will reevaluate and uh, assess? How am I doing? How am I going? How how am I uh, coming along? Right? Uh, I would recommend this book to those who are trying to be more self-controlled because I think that's, at the end of the day, the benefit. And I would just be very, very careful as you look at something like this that you don't go thinking that goals and what you want are to be embraced uncritically. Meditate on what is good and what is true and what is beautiful and let God define those things for you in humility, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's good to seek wisdom and knowledge and insight and to be self-controlled and intentional. It's beneficial. It's a blessed uh, arrangement, a dream within a dream. And uh, if you read this, I think you'll be helped along those lines, but don't just read this. Also get in your Bible, read God's word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Check it out. That's all the time I've got for this episode, though. Stay tuned because coming up soon, I have uh, some more content like this, some more book reviews in the works, and I hope to have some additional books here uh, finished up in the coming days along similar lines, and hopefully you'll be helped by those as well. I'll give you some ideas for some books to read. What I always want to do is I always want to be even-handed. If I'm recommending a book, I always want to tell you what to watch out for if there's something concerning and also what you might be helped by both. And uh, I think that's important to know as you're considering reading a book. So 
Let me know what you think. If you were helped, that'll encourage me. But I'll leave it there. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.